This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tap, no matter where you are. Even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh, that is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com slash smart. Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I am Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Our guest today is really going to talk about that because he's got a lot of experience in leading without having direct authority over the people that we'll be talking about. So uh, let's let's talk to this guest. Today's guest is a winner of a Six Sigma Chairman's Award in a $23 billion enterprise where he's been responsible for budgets over $500 million. That's more money than I manage in any, any year, probably you too. But he's developed a powerful reputation for transformative operations that enhances the quality and delivery of those operations by combining his backgrounds in technology and business. And he uses those skills to bridge the gaps in perspective so that you can improve the communications, understanding, and collaboration among all these teams. He has vast experience driving large-scale digital transformations. I work for some computer companies, and that sounds like a computer job to me, but we'll, we'll find out about that too. He prides himself in his ability to lead a business to its next evolution. And I think we're all going through that right now and can certainly relate to that. So our guest today, he's earned his MBA at the University of Notre Dame, spent 22 years at Cummings Incorporated, and is presently the Director of Supply Chain Solutions at Cummings. Please welcome to our program, Mr. Gary Cassell. Hi, Gary. Hi, Gary. Thank you for the great introduction. I appreciate that. Right, we're looking forward to hearing from you today on your experiences at Cummings, Gary. And by the way, I just want to say, you got a great name. I just yeah, I put that out there. Yeah, I, I thought the same for your, of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, on the list of 100 names, I think it's top 100 names of kids today. It doesn't exist. So uh, we're, we're a dying breed. <laughs> so maybe these two Garys can share a few things about leadership today. First, uh, if you would, talk a little bit about your background. How did you get to Cummins? And, you know, where did you come from? And uh, tell us a little bit about Gary. Sure. I, uh, I actually started my career as in IT and business process consulting. So it came out of school. I'm actually from the Southeast, so I'm from Virginia. And I moved to North Carolina after I finished school. And I, I took a role in a small company where, and, and, I'm, and actually it's kind of interesting, this company was connected to Cummins. So I go further back with Cummins than just as, as the time I was employee, which I'll, I'll talk about as I go through a little bit of my background. But as a part of this, uh, this company in Charlotte, North Carolina, I led teams that, where we were designing solutions to enable business processes for 
a broader range, a broad array of different types of customers, different industries. But we spent most of our time in the automotive or industrial industry. And I honestly spent most of my time with this consulting organization working with the Cummins North America distribution companies. And, you know, we've, you know, I, I led teams where we implemented solutions for operations that range from 100 million to 5 billion. Pretty big range of size of companies that I was engaged with during that time. I joined Cummins full time in 1998. And I really pivoted at that point, kind of moving from what I would call IT leadership roles to business leadership roles. And I, I did that directly after completing my MBA at the University of Notre Dame, as you mentioned in the introduction. And you know, one of the, the first roles I took coming out of that, kind of making that pivot, was I took an expat assignment in Belgium and moved the family just outside of Brussels. And I had responsibility for our distribution and logistics business across EMEA and then also supported uh, Russia in, in that role. So a lot of a lot of territory to cover. It was fantastic opportunity for me and a, a huge learning opportunity, especially in the leadership space. I actually repatriated after close to four years back to North America and specifically to Memphis. And I, I went to Memphis to run or to lead our North America aftermarket logistics and distribution business, which is by far the, the largest aftermarket um, business in Cummins. I was there, I, I did that role for about three years. I moved from that into an operations excellence role where we were talking a little bit before about Six Sigma, did a lot of work with Six Sigma, a lot of work with, uh, with Lean in the Lean warehousing aspect. And you know, did that role for a few years and then got responsibility for corporate or our, our global transportation. Uh, responsibility also. And about three and a half years ago, I moved back to Columbus, took this uh, this supply chain solutions role, which is really, you know, I'm leading a lot of transformational changes that are happening across our business that are, that are actually being driven by our, the functions in the supply chain, whether that be purchasing, whether that be planning, order management, so we're getting into a lot of big spaces across the globe with Cummins. So let's let's uh, now that we've got the the foundation here. I want to go back into the early years when you talked about uh, uh, coming out of school and uh, leading teams very early on. What, when you think back on the early years, what are some of the things that you remember really learning and sticking with you from leading those teams at a young age? Yeah, very good question. Because uh, I do look back a lot on that. I, I'm, I'm big into self-reflection and kind of learning you know, who I really am and who I want to continue to, to grow as a. That's great that I asked, I asked the right guy. That's, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about that self-reflection from the 20-year-old uh, Gary Cassell. Let's hear it. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know that I had it when I came out of school. So. <laughs> who does? Uh, you know, I, I really <laughs> I entered the, uh, this, this particular position at this uh, small company. I did progress really quickly. And you know, within a year, I had a team that I was managing. You know, I had this belief, and I'm sure I'm not alone, but I, I had this belief that it was all about how technically competent, how technically good you were. 
And, you know, I, and when I came out of school, I'll honestly say, you know, I, I was one of those people that felt like, Hey, I'm ready to take on the world. You, you get into those situations where you feel like, Hey, I can do that. I can do that quicker by myself than trying to teach somebody else how to do it. And you go through a couple of years of that. And there's a realization that I think comes to you that hey, you can't do this alone. And it's not all about knowledge or technical capability. That's just a piece of the leadership puzzle. And maybe the smallest piece, honestly, is what I've learned over the years. You know, it's really how do you build those people skills? You know, how do you get the best out of people? How do you inspire? How, how do you actually draw out the strengths of others, encourage others, resolve conflict, get teams working effectively together? That's a more, at least what I have found in my experience, is it's a lot more difficult to build you know, that set of leadership skills than to build the technical stuff. The technical skills, pretty easy for folks to acquire, right? It's very educational. You do it this way. You kind of think you may have some innovative approaches to it. Not, it's more of a challenge, you know, not so easy on the... So what's it, what's it make, what makes it a challenge? Well, everybody's different. Right? And, and you have to realize that, including yourself. And, you know, for me, honestly, Gary, one of the things, and I think I was probably very late in the, in the leadership game coming to this conclusion, that I really had to learn who I was. You know, not just what I could do from a technical perspective, but who I was and how people perceived me. And, if, you know, if I wanted to be that individual that could inspire others, it wasn't about how good I could do something technically. You know, it was really how well I could help them achieve their goals, you know, help them achieve their aspirations professionally. You said it's important as a leader to know who I am, who I was back then and who I am. And, and in order to be a really, really great leader, you felt like you had to get to that point to know who you are in order to be able to be more effective as a leader. So, why do you think that is? Why is it important for you to know who you are to be a great leader? Well, I, I think it really comes down to you know, knowing how people respond to you. And if you want people to respond positively, if you want them to believe you, if you want to be authentic, right? Authentic leadership is, to me, a big deal because people can tell when you're just kind of checking the, the boxes really quickly. It's pretty easy to spot if, if someone's just checking the boxes on you. But if you truly care about others, if you truly care about you know, helping people obtain their goals, the work product is going to be there, right? They're going to want to support the efforts that you're leading. They're going to want to be part of that because, you know, they can launch from that to, to something, you know, to their next step as an example. And, you know, if I could sort of pick the time that I think that I really figured that out, it was probably during an integral leadership course that I was taking actually when I was at Notre Dame. And it was all about, and honestly, you know, I, I will tell you, Gary, when I first started the, the course, the first few sessions, I, I kept thinking, oh, why am I doing this? <laughs> I don't know that I really get why I'm having to you know, dig deep in my own values or, you know, kind of figure out, you know, my personality type, things, things of this nature. Yeah, it was interesting, but it, it wasn't relating to me right off the bat as to 
hey, you really need to know who you are so you can be a leader for others and you can understand where they're coming from also because everybody's voice is different. So what, just just out of curiosity, you, you said when you went, you know, started this program at Notre Dame, how many years between getting out of college and leading this first team and then you having that leadership course at Notre Dame and becoming aware of this, what was, what was the gap? How many years was that? 18. 18 years. Okay. So I, I, I just want to step in because a lot of what you said is what we teach in our leadership program when you talk about this, about knowing yourself, being authentic, is from our step one of seven steps of intentional leadership. The first component of step one, which is purpose, the first component is personal mission statement. So everything that you're talking about is really knowing who am I and being able to answer that and how do I want to show up. And the work that we do in coaching, just like what you're talking about, is that process you went through. You, you said it. It's what are my values? Yeah. What do I stand for? What's important to me? And then you tied in that into authenticity. You know, and we talk about the personal mission statement is your anchor of authenticity. It's the reminder of who I'm going to be every day and helps me be more authentic. So you're hitting the nail right on the head on, you know, your path and what it and it takes five to 10 years to become mediocre as a manager, even without that. And a lot of us, it takes 15 to 20 years before we realize the first time I came across it was in 1993 when I did work for the Covered Leadership Center. I'd been out of college for 17 years. And there you go. You know, I don't know. Maybe we start waking up in our late 30s, early 40s, hopefully for some of us. Right? Maybe. <laughs> it's great stuff. It's, you know, I, have say, Gary, I, I, I did want to add one thing yes. that was probably the most revealing thing to me when I went through the integral leadership course, as we were nearing the end of sort of that, that program, one of the exercises that we did was that we had to write our own obituary uh, and, and basically say what we wanted people to remember us for. And then we had to read that back to the class, which is interesting how difficult it was to read it. Yeah, it took a lot of thought to write it, and I guess eulogy, I shouldn't, I, I should call it the eulogy is what we had to write, but it was so difficult to read it back. And then sort of the reflection you did on that with everything you'd gone through, whether it was in that program or your past experiences from, you know, even when you, you were much before you started working to the time you entered the corporate world to then it just sort of hit you as to, you know, I'm starting to know who I am now. What made it difficult to read it back to the class? Just the emotion that you felt. Yeah. And, and I wasn't expecting to feel that when I read it, but you know, I got halfway through it and I had to pause a few times to just get through the, the second half of it because it was so difficult to, to get through it. And it was an experience that every one of us in the program went through. So from a personal standpoint, were you married? I was, yes. Do you have kids? I had two kids. Did any of that thought come into your mind about the person that you were writing down in your obituary or in your in your eulogy and the person you are that day and what you wanted to become? Oh yeah, it, it was it was all you know, what did I want family to remember me for? What did I want my colleagues at, at work to you know remember me for? I mean, it, all of that just sort of hit you. It's like a ton of bricks, right? I mean, such an emotional thing that, you know, if you were really taking it serious, like all of us were, because you could see it on people's faces. Everybody had a hard time reading their their eulogy 
back, it, it just made you realize that I feel like I've missed something here. You sort of gain that understanding at that point that who you want to be, the leader you want to be, it's a lifelong learning process. It's not something that, hey, I figured it out today so I can just you know, coast from here to the, you know, to the end of my career or, or whatever. It's something where you look to learn on a daily basis. Yeah, there, there's no coasting through life. Not, not for most of us. No. <laughs> no, in fact, in fact, the struggle is part of the fun of life. You know, people may not like to hear that. There's a difference, though. As leaders, I always say, let your people struggle. Don't let them suffer. You know, it's the same thing with your children. Let your children struggle. You don't ever want your children to suffer. And sometimes we forget in our our definition of leadership is the ability to build relationships so we can achieve our goals together with compassion and accountability. And as parents, the, the balance of compassion and accountability we talk about all the time. It's called tough love. It's the same thing, compassion and accountability. But it's a balance of those two always in the situation, in the process of developing others. So, you know, you bring up a lot of really great points when we have that emotional moment, that realization, because what you, you went from being an unconscious incompetent to a conscious incompetent in your own life. Right. And the, the awareness that struck you in our leadership development uh, boot camp, we have a three and a half day boot camp. We take people through, we have them do exactly the same thing that you're talking about in different ways. It's vul- it's a vulnerable moment. And we as leaders need to learn vulnerability. I believe I'm just going to make uh, this statement because I believe in and having seen this with hundreds and hundreds, thousands of leaders that I've worked with. That was your moment when you started to truly become a leader. Before that, you were a manager. Before that, you were learning skills and techniques. But at that point, that's when your heart shifted to become a leader. Right. I mean, you never forget that moment. That's right. So. So let's let's move forward. How have you used that in the last 20 plus years or we won't make you that old 10 years in all those years? It's OK. You can make me that old. I think I am. <laughs> when when you, you you came to that realization, you've been applying that to your work. And and I, and I want to talk a little bit about what we talked about before is how do you leverage that authenticity when you're in a position when you're dealing cross functional teams, working with other organizations that that you don't have any authority over? And you've got to convince them, work with them. And as we said in your in your bio, is to close the gap of perspectives. That's that's a tall order. How how do you, how do you go about doing that? What 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 what's your approach? Yeah, it, it is a tall order. It can be quite frustrating. It can take uh, it can take time, especially depending on the scope of what you're trying to change. So in in the the work that I do, the scope is always pretty large. It's, it's global, you know, whether it's, you know, an order management function and we're really trying to to change the way that we work, which affects people's lives. So anytime you do that, right, lots of flags go up from, you know, those organizations, leaders to customers that aren't, you know, that you're not even trying to change because something's going to be different. And, that whole change management process you have to go through, you know, requires a lot of time kind of putting yourself in that, that leadership role and saying, I need to spend time with those organizations or those people where we're going to make a change at to understand from their perspectives, you know, what their pain points are. So 
in, in one respect, if you don't know their pain points and you just think, hey, I'm, I'm going to go in and I'm going to change this. We're going to change this process. We're going to consolidate this. You know, we're going to automate this. It's going to be easy. You're going to hit a brick wall because it's never that way because you do have to bring people along on the journey. So you have to find your way to getting them on the journey, the path of the journey. And a lot of the times, you know, how, at least it, how I do that is I engage them as part of what we're doing, you know, help, you know, come on board. Let me hear, you know, your concerns. I make sure that, you know, whether it's myself or the, or the team, we hear those concerns, we respond to them, but we don't just go in and say, here's how we're going to manage that concern. We want you to be part of how we overcome that concern or how we overcome that barrier. Because if you don't bring those people with you on the journey, all they're going to see is this group of that's going to come out, change things. They work behind this curtain, never know exactly what they're doing. You know, there's always going to be that layer of fear there. Um, and, and that's just working day to day. And you have to understand and go through a process to know where people stand. Right. I mean, you, you're going to have promoters and you're going to have detractors. And if you're spending all your time with promoters, you know, that's like um, that's like asking for feedback. And all I want you to tell me is what I do well. I can't do much with that. Right. I've already got you know, you're already on board where I need to spend the time with is the detractors. Right. And again, in a parallel to feedback, what I want in feedback is I, I want the critical feedback. You know, I want the stuff that's hard to say because I can build on that. Right. I, I don't need you to tell me I'm great at this. I need you to tell me, hey, you're not so great at this because now I can work on that. Yeah. So let's let's uh, dig into that a little bit, because I'm going to I want to I want to make sure that we're clear about what you're saying so that people don't miscommunicate or misunderstand, because I want to close the gap. I want to understand our perspectives. You know, as you, you've taught me already, I like that. I'm going to close the gap because we we do some work in our in our leadership program that says uh, when you start. You want to find your followers. You want to find your first followers because that builds your constituency out and it builds your, your, your champions. So early on in the process, you want to, you want to gain that consensus from those people that are supporting you, helping you, and will give good input to move it forward. You work on the detractors. Eventually you can't ignore them. If you ignore them, they will become a, a, a cancer inside the organization, right? but they might be a little harder to crack. And we, we have a thing for this in, in marketing. It's called the uh, crossing the chasm. You have people like really get excited about it. They're the innovators. You know, if I have a new product that comes out, people that they're, they're the innovators. They jive, oh, you got a new iPhone. This is awesome. Right. The early adopters are the ones that ask the questions. Oh, that's really a nice phone. What is it going to do for me? You know, they are that innovators. Don't even ask that. They just buy it. And what happens in marketing is you have a dip in sales because the early adopters are not going to buy it until they see value in it. And the innovators cannot be used as testimonials to the early adopters because they don't believe them. There's a, because it's cool. The iPhone is cool. Yeah. But what does it do for you? Yeah. Well, it's cool. You know, so we have to, like you're saying, engage them in the process, help them understand the, uh, uh, the value of it. And that's going to eventually pull the late adopters and the laggards over. You hope the, 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 you know, the words that you use, you hope, you, you hope. And, and so if they don't, 
And I've run in organizations like this. If they don't, you have to find another place for them sometimes. That, that is correct. Right. That's the tough decision that. Uh, so I not I agree with you as you're in the process of implementation, listening to the feedback of everybody is really, really important. Early on, it's almost a flip model. Work with the champions, work with the early adopters, work with the people who want to support you and just hope they will convince the laggards, the other people, that the, the detractors to come on board. And if they can't get it with peer pressure, there's always going to be that five or 10 percent. You're going to have to figure out what to do. Would you agree with that? Oh, I would agree with that. And yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Those, as, as I call them, promoters, you know, they're on the journey with you and they are helping you make sure you're addressing and, and they help address issues of the detractors. Because yeah. I just just making sure that, you know, who, who that detractor is, and, and maybe this is the simplest case, but that they truly understand what you're doing and how it's going to help them. Right. Right. Great stuff. Well, you know, Gary, I, I've, I've got one last question before I finalize some things here, because, uh, boy, have we learned a lot. I, I look back in your early years and you talked about your belief that it's all about technical competency and you realized, well, yeah, you have to have that on the team, but not for the leader. The leader doesn't have to be highly technical. They just need to know what's going on. You've had some experience overseas, which is always exciting to me. I lived in 10 states and two foreign countries and uh, some Americans that might be listening to this podcast haven't gone outside the county. I, I hope they're a little more, uh, <laughs> they're a little more traveled than that. Although everybody's staying at home right now, but you've done a lot moving from Belgium Boy, Belgium and Memphis, that's there's two different places to live in, huh? <laughs> I'll, I'll bet. And, and now talking about, um, you know, your experience at Notre Dame where you kind of became, you know, and got to an understanding and awareness of who you are. That was very powerful to become the authentic self that you are. And then how you attempted all these new things from a position of, of influence and leadership, not of authority. If there was one thing you could write to Gary 20 or 30 years ago and say, hey, dude, pay attention. This is what you gotta focus on. Is this what you, you might wanna think about? Is there anything that we haven't covered here today that you would have written back to yourself or would you emphasize some of the things that we've talked about? What would you write to yourself? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. The letter would probably be pretty long because I've, I've, I've made my fair share of the wrong steps. <laughs> so, hey, warning. Yes. As have we all. Yeah, I, I think that if I had that opportunity, it would be, you know, I, I'd write something to myself that says, hey, you're don't miss out on, you know, the the joy and the passion that you you will create by knowing who you are. So you relate to others better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. It, and I, and I, I just go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, I just think that, and this, again, it's a personal thing for me, right? That I, I know where I was when I first entered the workforce and it was just, hey, I want to be the best at what I do. But I never brought in that definition of who I am as a leader. Doing that earlier, that's that's what I'd want to tell myself is, hey, don't miss this boat. You know, get on it faster. Well, that, that's, that's great stuff. And uh, I, I, it's interesting because our first step and first component is personal mission. And it's there for a reason so that people that we work with really understand better deeply what their authentic self is. And what I've found is by doing that and putting ego aside, you're actually 
much more open to listen and to hear what other people have to say because you don't feel threatened by any ideas that they have because you know what you are and what you stand for. Yeah. So there's no threat. And it's it's a beautiful thing. Gary, I, I want to thank you for your, your insights, your thoughts, your ideas. We've got some just great things for people to hear. Is there anything else that you'd like to close with that uh, any any words of wisdom or, or things for uh, younger leaders that might be saying, gee, you know, guys, you need to listen. Gals, you need to listen to this. You need to hear what we have to say. Anything you'd like to add? Yeah, that's yeah, I, I think about it. And I, I mentor a lot of young young leaders coming into the, the company today. And, and we talk about these types of things, right? Because, you know, I do find that a lot of a lot of the younger people coming in, whether they're straight out of college or maybe they've they've moved from a, an internship or they're, you know, it, maybe it's their second role inside of five years kind of coming out of school that, you know, they're, they're trying to define themselves and not necessarily really reflecting on, you know, who they are. So we, I spend some time initially kind of talking to like new team members that we hire to kind of understand where are you at along this, this path and how can I help you realize that it's an important path to be on if you're not on it yet. Because it's not bad that you're not on it yet. I mean, I don't look back at the time that I wasn't there and think, well, that was bad. I do think, well, there's probably some opportunities that I sort of let slip by me because I, I wasn't there yet. And you did you did say that if you had a choice, you would you would tell yourself, hey, start sooner. So you're just trying to yeah. mentor people to start sooner. That's great. Yeah, that's that's what I try to do. And you're helping mentor people really learn how to do what you learned at Notre Dame those those years ago. Uh, to write their own epitaph or their own personal mission statement, as we talked about. I think that's that's really awesome. It's been a great experience, I'm sure. Yeah, it, it has. And, you know, it is something that as as I went through this process myself, you know, I, I, I want to help others. I'm not claiming to be an expert uh, by any means, uh, but to help others kind of achieve the goals that, that they have, the, the younger teammates that I have, people outside of my organization that I mentor that, um, you know, maybe they've been with Cummins now two, three years. In one case, I've, I'm mentoring someone that's been with Cummins for 12 years. And we just talk through those kinds of things so I can understand where they're at on the journey. And they may not be on the journey. And, and again, that's okay. But somewhere along the way, they'll have, as, as you said earlier, they'll have that moment that gets them stepping on that uh, on that road and taking that journey. I think that's what we're going to call this podcast. It's the moment. And uh, I really appreciate your conversation, your time today. And uh, I, I want to, uh, I'm going to send you my link. If anybody's interested at statarius.com, that's S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S. Statarius, it's Latin for to stand firm. So if your Latin is a little off, you'll have to spell it. But on my website, on the homepage, if you scroll down, you can get a copy of my book, this uh, CEO's Journey, The Seven Steps of Intentional Leadership, and scroll down a little further. And guess what? You can click on to get a process for writing a personal mission statement. For you, Gary, I'm going to email that to you so that you'll have it because I want you to have that uh, that uh, document to help your uh, your people and it might help guide them to write a personal mission statement to uh, help them become more aware of who they are. So I'll oh, that's great. That, that's super. Yeah. So thank you so much. 
So thank you, Gary. It has been a pleasure talking with you and uh, the wisdom that you've offered today, I know will help a lot of our listeners. Thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome. Very much enjoyed the discussion. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. So as Gary says, know who you are, go out there and make things happen. Lead without responsibility, but with a lot of authenticity. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com, S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S.com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit petercats.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.